0: Now, it was in, um, in 2005, and I was tracking through, at that stage, it's a while ago now, but up until then in my life, one of the most stressful and disorientating and exhausting periods of my life it was before we came to this church, we were serving in another church, and it was just hard. And while it was all happening, a friend of mine had sent me a book, a friend of mine who lives in California, America, he sent me a book, and it's called Brokenness, by a guy called Lon Solomon. And now, um, all these years down the track, I can still clearly remember the day. So it's it's probably, you know, it's 13 and a half years ago. When I was in my study, we used to live over in Ringwood, I was devouring this book, I was reading the authors, the, the main thesis of this book, in Lon Solomon's book, is that in every life, God works at least one big event. Oftentimes it can be more than one. And it might be an event, you know, when we talk about an event, it might be an event that happens one afternoon, so it's like it's confined like that. Or it might be, you know, like a once-off, it might be an event that happens over time, like a divorce or a death, or, or, or like what, what I was going through or what I'd been through at that time was a church split, um, and a group of people who wanted their senior pastor, me sacked, um, and it was, it was really hard. However this event happens, though, Lon Solomon was saying in this book that God uses that event in our lives to break the self in us. And never, ever, as I say, 13 years ago, never will I forget hearing God speak to me like he was sitting on the other side of the desk in my study that afternoon and i wrote down what it was that i thought he was breaking in me at that time i wrote it down i said it's my determination to achieve and my ambition to succeed watershed life-defining moment for me i can tell you story after story this morning all of them would be examples of Jeff Shepherd thinking that God was not acting quick enough to solve the problem or to meet the challenge. And so me deciding that I needed to speak or act somehow. The day, for instance, <laughs> the day, not at this church, the day when I resigned over the phone, because I was so angry with the elders in my then church, determined to force their hand, <laughs> and then I had to call back a couple of hours later and say, "I hope I wasn't out of line with that crack about resigning," like, and retract it. The day I, um, the day I spent an hour-long car trip putting this girl that I knew on a big guilt trip because she'd just lost interest in pursuing a relationship with me and me telling her how she was wrong. Like, I just thought I had to talk her around. You see, right through life for me, I've just wanted to succeed, get it happening. And sometimes I've tried so, so hard Get happening, like this guy. <laughs> It seems so hard to wait for God to act. Especially when I can't see signs of God solving the problem or meeting the challenge. And this, for me, uh, makes me anxious. Like I start scheming then and designing and planning. What is it? What do I need to do or say or bring about, you know, to bring about the outcome that I'm convinced is best? Do you reckon... Does God want me living like this? You find, it, you find it hard to wait for God? Do you find yourself assessing your situation and looking at it in the cold, hard light of day and concluding that if anything's going to change or get better for you, then you are going to have to fix it yourself? Ever? Really, you're saying that God needs your help. Honest, like, and you're honest, you really do feel like God needs your help. Cash is tight. Moving this, moving that, you've got rent, bills, petrol, school fees. It's not adding up. So if you just do a little bit of cash work on the side, just move the figures around for the tax man a little bit, that'll help. Thought you remembered that God said he would always supply all your needs but it didn't seem like that was happening so you had to step in and help him out. You waited and you waited like like Tracy we'll call her Tracy I hadn't seen her for a while she called me one day pretty soon we get to talking pretty deep on the phone I could tell that something's not quite right sure enough with a few questions and a bit of listening it comes out This beautiful young girl, she's waited and waited and waited. She'd had one boyfriend that had fallen through and now she hasn't found the guy who loves Jesus. She's found, though, a really nice guy, Jeff. He's a really nice guy who doesn't love Jesus. And it's not long till she's in tears on the end of the phone and she's lamenting how it seems so and she even puts a little expletive word in there. So hard to wait for God. Especially when she can't see any outward evidence of God actually doing anything. Doing anything about her problem of loneliness and her unmet desire for companionship. So she has to help God out. Your son, your daughter, your teenage son. You're at the end of your rope now. His lifestyle choices, her arrogance, her lack of respect, his flying in your face rejection of anything you think of to love him, and it's killing you. Might have snuck up on you. You might be oblivious to it. But the fact is that now what you've done, because you've got to help God out here, you've become manipulative in the way you act and you nag. Because God needs your help. sort the other person out. You know, you know, you know, and so do I, some other people who need to change. Horrifying, I know, but the truth is if you looked around this auditorium right now, you could name people, couldn't you? Come on. (laughs) You could squarely point your finger at them and articulate exactly what needs to change about them. He's too proud or I wasn't pointing that in anyone's direction over there. <laughs> He's too proud. Poor Tony Dupree was just sitting there. Oh man! <laughs> um, she's too selfish. He shouldn't be a leader. She is self-absorbed. She's a self-centered, self-centered wife. No wonder her husband's out, out all the time. This makes you anxious you see all the way that other people have got to change, so you start scheming and designing and planning what you need to do or say to bring about the outcome that you think is right. We've got an incredible tendency, us people, don't you think, to to, to try and help God out? Hey, like, is it is it just me? Or do we have a tendency? What do you think? Don't sound like you really think we've got a tendency, like... I reckon it's a widespread tendency, we want to try and help God. So does God want us living like this? Because it's not a new phenomenon, this, this, this desperation to help God out. You want to see it in operation, you want to get a look at it, in a legend of the human race, it's Abraham we've been looking at it in the last few weeks, he's married to Sarah, at the moment their names are Abram and Sarai um, and God helps him make a big bold promise and we've been seeing it these last few weeks in, in, in this series, Abraham God's friend, and growing faith, remember Abram has done what God's asked him to do, he's left his relatives, he's left the comfort of his home in Haran and he's gone off Believing that God would show him once he's going where he's going to stay. And God's actually done that. That's where we got to last time, last week. God didn't only tell him to leave Haran, but then once he got going, then God showed him where to go and where to stay and where to stop. Remember back in chapter 12, Genesis chapter 12, um, God had said to him, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. He's gonna make him into a great nation. He's gonna give him in that promise, God promises, more descendants than all the stars in the sky, if you get ever count them. He's making him the father of this nation, is what we now know as the Jewish nation, nation the nation of Israel. Father, 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 father. just think on that for a second because that means, surely, that means somehow, however, whatever, whenever, God's going to have to give this couple, Abram and Sarai, a son. Not to mention too that Abraham just wants a son. Of course he does. Now maybe you know their story because they wait and they wait and they wait and they wait and they had a scheme or two along the way, ingenious plans, like creative, imaginative. They wanted to, they felt like they had to. They felt like they had to try and help God out. God's promised Abraham's going to be the father of the great nation, more descendants than all the stars in the sky, if you can count them. That means he needs a son but we haven't got a son yet. Now, it's reasonable, isn't it? Come on. You, 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 when you find yourself in a situation that you can't see any way out of, you haven't got the money, but you have got the bills. You haven't got the boyfriend, but by instinct you're craving. The relationship's not working, but there's nothing on earth you can do to not agonize over it and try and bend, borrow, and steal to get it right. Look at this. At that time, a severe famine struck the land of Canaan, forcing Abram to go down to Egypt, where he lived as a foreigner. Okay, just check on the map um, because it, it, it's really important. To see, I forgot to bring my pointer up again, but you can see Egypt down here on the left-hand corner of the screen. So Abram's Abram's up. You know, we we don't know exactly where he is, but a little bit, probably a little bit east of where Shechem is, somewhere up there towards where it says Arabian Desert, and he's on his way down to Egypt now. Now, um, just j- just look look at what God said at that time: severe famine struck the land of Canaan, forcing Abram to go down to where he lived as a foreigner, like. God never told him to go. God had told him to come here to the, to the Negev, which is southern Israel. But that's as much as God had said. And, and maybe Abram thought that this severe famine was evidence enough that something was wrong and that God needed his help somehow, that if he didn't act to fix his problem, no one would. Friends, when we see life through God's eyes... We don't make assumptions like that. We know that God often brings famines. He even brings severe famines. And that sometimes becomes our most golden opportunity for learning, for being refined, for moving nearer to Jesus. So look at this. As he was approaching the border of Egypt... Abram, he was anxious for all natural reasons, like it's completely natural. He was stretched, squeezed, worried. This was huge. Abram said to his wife, his spouse, Sarai, Look, you're a very beautiful woman. When the Egyptians see you, when we get to Egypt and they see you, they're going to say, Hey, she's his wife. Let's kill him. Then we can have her. Now, God needs my help here. <laughs> I mean, I don't really want to die. And if you value me at all, Sarai, he needs your help too. God needs my help. So please, Sarai, would you tell them that you are my sister, my sibling? Then they will spare my life and treat me well because of their interest in you. Let's Help God. Let's help him. We'll tell a lie. I'll massage the facts. I'll conspire with someone else and ask them to go along with my scheme. I'll talk behind backs, I'll drop hints, I'll appeal to someone's emotions because you know God needs my help. God needs Jeff Shepherd's help. God needs your help. I'm sure he does. He said, Abram, man, he said he's gonna make me into a great nation. Well, he hasn't even given me a son yet. And that'd be a start, but he can't give me that son. He can't make me into a village, let alone a nation, if I'm dead. (laughs) We better help him. Now, it's much later now. If you skip ahead to Genesis chapter 20, it's much later. It's years later. Look at this. Abraham moved south to the Negev and lived for a while between Kadesh and Shur, and then he moved on to Gerar. While living there as a foreigner, Abraham introduced his wife, his spouse, Sarah, by saying, she is my sister. He did it again. And it's not just the old guy, Abraham. It's her too. It's only later when Abraham's actually debriefing his venture and helping God out that he actually puts his hands up and reveals this scheme. Just remember, it seems so hard to wait for God. Especially when I can't see signs of God solving the problem or meeting the challenge. And this, just, this makes me anxious. So then that's when I start scheming and designing and planning what I need to do or say to bring about the outcome that I think is best. Like this, like Abraham admits it. It's in Genesis chapter 20. He says, When God called me to leave my father's home and to travel from place to place, I told her, Sarah, do me a favor, will you? They hatch a plan. Wherever we go, let's tell the people that I'm your brother. We won't be spouses. We'll be siblings. God needs my help. I gotta, man, I gotta pack the bags and go to Egypt because God knows if I stay here, I'll starve to death. And I can't be the father of a, of a nation if I'm starving to death. And God knows that when we go down to Egypt, if they see you, my wife, then they'll kill me and they'll have you. Then we won't be able to have a son. I can't be the father of me. God needs my help. God needs my help you wonder if this sort of habit doesn't repeat itself yeah it does because here's Isaac now skip ahead to Genesis chapter 26 this is Abraham's son it's years down the track he's married to Rebecca and by now Isaac is probably in his 50s or 60s maybe even in his 70s it's decades later you don't think families tend to repeat themselves in the things they do look at this it's severe famine again it's a time of need it's getting desperate we don't like living that do we we don't like living like that, in famine. It's all well and good for you, Jeff. It's all well and good for you to stand up there and moralize on Sunday mornings. But hey, I've got to put food on the table. I've got to survive my workplace. I've got to patch up my relationships. I've got to keep my church in the place I want it to be. It says, when the men who lived there asked Isaac about his wife, Rebecca, can you believe it? He said, She's my sister. He was afraid to say she's my wife. He thought they'll kill me to get her because she's so beautiful. Like father, like son. Passed it down the line, Abraham did, didn't he? It wasn't working out the way he wanted Wasn't it working out the way you wanted it? What do you think? Does God need your help? How much, how much initiative should you take? Like, is God actually asking you, is, you know, Pastor Jeff's up there talking away, banging on, you know, one time I remember Joanne de Borg talking about what, what's Jeff going on about at the moment, that's what she said, so, well, Jeff's up there and he's going on about this, you know. How much initiative should you take, though? Is God asking you this morning, is, you know, well, he's just asking you to sit on your backside, pardon the French. And just wait for him to pick you up by the collar and force you to do something or to spoon feed you or to hand you something on a platter. Is that what he's asking? Abraham, this guy, he hasn't got much faith. I mean, we just saw that story. We saw he's gone to Egypt without permission. He's he's got this scheme and this plan, this conspiracy to try and help. Schemer, manipulator, anxious provider. Yeah, like Look at that. But look how God describes him. If you're like me, like I've got a lifelong history of this. Look how God describes him. It's much, much later. It's hundreds of years after his death. This is in Romans in the New Testament the Bible. It says then, even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping, believing that he would become the father of many nations. For God had said to him, that's how many descendants you will have. And Abraham's faith did not weaken even though at about 100 years of age, he figured his body was as good as dead and so was Sarah's womb. Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger and in this he brought glory to God. Now, what do you think? Do you reckon God needs your help? Seriously, does he need you to scheme? Does he need you to manipulate? Does he need you to get angry? Does he need you to make threats? Does he need you to shuffle the cards around a bit so they're in a bit better order than what he's got them in? Does he need your help? Abraham was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. And because of Abraham's faith, God counted him as righteous. Now, now now what do you reckon? You just read that, like that beautiful description of Abraham, like never wavered. You know, he's fully convinced. Is that the Abraham we just read about? Like the one that's thinking we better say she's my sister, not my wife. What do you reckon? I don't know how to reconcile those, those two versions because they give me a couple of different pictures other than to conclude that God, listen, God loves me in my struggle to trust him. He absolutely loves me in the midst of my struggle to trust him and God knows I struggle to trust him. He still loves me. He totally showers me with his grace even though I fight so desperately to trust and to hang on. And to let him be God. Do you think God needs your help? He loves you in it this morning. Look at this. I bow before your holy temple as I worship. I praise your name for your unfailing love and faithfulness. Your promises are backed by all the honor of your name. Everything within you is screaming. You need to help. You don't act, no one will, do you? The one, Paul says this in 1 Thessalonians chapter five, the one who called you is completely dependable. If he said it, he'll do it. You know what friends, God doesn't need my help. He just wants me to trust Him and cooperate with Him. God doesn't need my help. He just wants me to trust Him and cooperate with Him. I know that's odd, but it's true though. God absolutely doesn't need my help. He just wants me to trust Him and cooperate with Him. If only I could get this, friends. And I tell you what, I'm on the road to getting it. God's helping me to get it. Finally, finally, I'm starting to grow in it. I mean, I'm 52 years old now. And God's doing this wonderful, deep work in me to help me live much more like this. But oh, the, the, the long, long line of fractures and misunderstandings and misgivings and hurts and fears and damage and destruction, it's resulted from me trying to help God out. Helping Him in ways that He never, ever asked me to. God doesn't need my help. He just wants me to trust Him cooperate with him. God made it so clear to me uh, eight or nine years ago now in spite of my reluctance and any of you who talked to me at the time you know I was reluctant. He made it really clear to me that he wanted me to become the chaplain at Richmond Football Club and I knew it was going to be a big, big experience of learning for me. I even sat on the couch one day before I'd said anything about it um, and I pleaded with God, God please, please, can I please tell me I can say no to this, That's what I wanted to do. He didn't know, he called me to do it and he gave me his words and it wasn't, it wasn't like a pig flying in the sky and it wasn't a finger writing on the wall but as I sat and listened to him with an open heart, he made it clear to me and I knew without a doubt that he was asking me to say yes to this position. And so once, you know, I'd been chatting with one of the players. He'd been over to our place for dinner once or twice before, and I wanted to get him and his wife back there. And I'd said to him, hey, you've got to come over for dinner again. Yeah, he says, and that was about it, you know. And I knew, though, from the conversation that God had been having with me at the time, and it may not always be the same for any of us, but I just knew in the conversation, me thinking I've got to help God out, I knew... That it was not for me to push it to get this guy over because I knew if I did I'd be trying to help God out so I left it nothing nothing happened two two or more weeks went by nothing happened and then it was a Friday morning it was my day off I remember I was sitting there in the backyard spending some beautiful time with God I prayed for this guy and then I hatched a scheme and I help him out See, I was anxious, like I, I, I wanted him over, I wanted this guy to accept me, I wanted to feel significant in his life, so I actually got my phone out and I wrote a text message to him, didn't even, hey, and I'm good at this, I didn't even mention dinner, just said g'day, how you going, thinking about you, <laughs> mentioned a couple of other things I knew were going on in his life. But my underlying motive, make no mistake, my underlying motive is that my text is going to trigger his memory. Oh, yeah, Jeff, yeah, yeah. We're supposed to go over there for dinner, aren't we? That was what I was trying to do. See, that's my scheming and manipulating. No, Jeff, no, 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 no. Jeff, God doesn't need your help. He doesn't want your help. So thankfully, I deleted the text. I didn't send it. I could tell you a lot more stories about the times when I did send the text, but this time I didn't, thank God. And then I kid you not, one of the most powerful learning experiences for me of exactly what we're talking about today, does God need my help? More than a fortnight since I'd heard from this guy, and now it's easily, you're going to think I'm exaggerating, aren't you? It's easily within five minutes of deleting that text. Off goes my phone. It's him. Hi, Jeff. How's Tuesday for dinner? <laughs> I just about fell off the chair. You see, I waited. I, I didn't try and help God out, at least not that. The pleasure, the beauty, the satisfaction, friends, of letting God do it his way, his time. God does not need my help. He just wants me to trust him and cooperate with him. so say he doesn't need my help and say you're looking at Abraham and Sarah right now and, and, and no you're not saying that a spouse is a sibling to help God out in your life you're not saying that but you are pushing it you're trying you're trying you're trying to do God's thing for him to help him along you're trying to cut a deal. You're trying to twist a friendship. You're trying to influence an impressionable, innocent messenger. You want to head your way of, head your way of living and being in a direction that it's a bit more in, in trust God mode. You, you'd sign up for that this morning than it is in help God mode. You want, to, you want to go to trust God more than help God mode. And bear in mind, too, that just because you're trusting God doesn't always mean, it doesn't mean, we're not saying that, that you're always just doing nothing. Just sitting there waiting for the text to come through. That doesn't mean what it is. It's just that you're doing what he asks you to do. When he asks you to do it. More so than what you think you need to do. So for me that morning, not to send the text. You're not running down to Egypt to wait out the famine. You're waiting there, you're knowing that that God asked you to be there, that God asked you to go to that place, and so God's most certainly, sure as the sun comes up tomorrow morning, God is most certainly going to provide for you right there and then, because that's where he asked you to be. You're not passing off your wife as your sister, are you? But you're holding your head high because you know that God promised you a son, so you don't, have to, you don't have to worry about her being alive or you being alive because you're as safe as houses while God's promised your son. It's nothing right? I just got a couple of suggestions for you this morning. Eh? You want to go into trust God mode a bit more? What about if you say, oh, I want to value waiting? Joyfully, patiently, quietly. Get inside this this God who, who really, really values and respects and esteems those who wait, and that's why there are verses and verses and verses and verses about it in your Bible. Just just like this one, just one example of many. Be still in the presence of the Lord. Wait patiently for Him to. You see, when we wait, that's when we give God his chance to work. And the more I know him, the the, the more I know God, the more I'm sure of it, that, do you find this? God just, he really, really, really seems to work in a hurry to me. I know he's capable of it. I know he can pull off a helicopter rescue and do it quickly. Absolutely. And sometimes he does. But I just find more often than not, he he likes to do the slow cook. Look at this. Those who wait for the Lord. That means to expect, look for hope in him. They shall change and renew their strength and power. They'll lift their wings and mount up close to God as eagles mount up to the sun. They will run and not be weary. They'll walk and not faint or become tired. God values waiting. He's challenged me so deeply too. Jeff, I don't just want you to wait. I don't just want you to wait it out. Wait, no, Jeff, wait patiently, joyfully. God doesn't need my help. just wants me to trust Him, operate with Him. So if you value waiting, what about if you prize listening? More so than you would prize talking and doing. We're such a loud society. like <laughs> We don't listen well. We don't sit still waiting well. But God loves it. When we stop and listen, James says, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. You've heard the term, haven't you, when someone flies off the handle because they're doing the opposite of what what God says there. He says, now be quick to listen, slow to speak. Slow to get angry. God doesn't need my help, friends. He just wants me to trust Him and cooperate with Him. And if you practice seeking instead of demanding, I've done a lot of demanding of God over the years. I demand that you do this. I demand that you explain yourself to me. How could you possibly not do this? Who do you think you are? Practice seeking instead of being so keen to see your ideas. And I know your ideas are good ones. I know you think they're good ones. I know I'm sure my ideas are good ones. I know that I think God could do with a fair bit of my advice on how to do things and what order to do them and and, and what hurry to do them. And I'm thinking, man, if only he would listen to me. So instead of seeking him, I tend to demand. Instead of being so keen to see your ideas accepted and implemented, what about just practice seeking? And so asking God, here I am today, and I do have my wayward teenager or my wayward wife or husband, I'm not married, and I wish I was. That relationship's not the way that I want it to be. My church, that's not the way I want it to be. I, I have got bills to pay, but not cash to pay them with. So I know it's 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 really natural in that situation to demand an answer. God, give me cash to pay the bills. Sort out the relationship. Well. What about if instead of doing that, saying, hey, God, I know you're here. Might not feel it, but I know you're here. What are you saying? That's seeking God's face. What are you saying? Where are you in this? How do I locate God in this? Says in Jeremiah, this is God's message. The God who made the earth made it livable and lasting. No one everywhere is God. He says that this is God saying, "Call to me, and I will answer you. I will tell you marvelous and wondrous things that you could never ever figure out on your own. But He won't be able to tell you those things while you're busy making your demands. It'll be while you're seeking and listening." Or doesn't need my help he wants me to trust him and cooperate with him and finally just this is one final thing to do what about if we say let's let's learn let's learn here what's god's job what's your job see recognize that god is often not asking you to work out the solution He's not asking you to twist the books or coerce the teenager or convince the boss, but, but it takes some learning there because we're wired this way. Let all that I am wait quietly before God for my hope is in Him. Does He need my help? Well, no, He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress where I will not be shaken. My victory and honour come from God alone. He is my refuge. He's the rock where no enemy can reach me. I want people trust in him at all times. Pour out your heart to him, for God is our refuge. It's really, really true, friends. God does not need my help. He just wants me to trust him, cooperate with him. Want to pray with me, friends, for a sec? Because when we're living with that in view, that God doesn't need my help. He just wants me to trust him and cooperate with him. When we're living with that in view, we're actually a changed people. We are. We're very, very different. We, we do things differently. We say things differently. We, we, we respond and react differently. When we're living with that in view, that God actually doesn't need my help here just wants me to trust him and cooperate with him. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, as we've looked at your word this morning, we just trust you now. Thank you, Lord. I, I trust that you've been speaking to people. Trust that you've hit a chord in in, in, in many hearts here of that sense of us just need to trust you and cooperate with you much more so than to help you. So now we just ask, uh, Holy Spirit, thanks for that work that you've done. We ask you to continue to do your beautiful work so that we can change. So that we can move more into trust God mode and to help God mode. Thank you, Jesus.